edition of Streaming Water Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about all things Colorado water and wastewater, and we try to do it with uh, experts from Colorado. Uh, we have two of those experts with us today, Sarah Reeves and Allegra Da Silva, and they're here to talk to us about PFAS today. Streaming Water Podcast is sponsored by the Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association and the Colorado Wastewater Utility Council, both great organizations in the water and wastewater industry that are that are serving their members well. But welcome, Sarah and Allegra. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for thanks for having us. Excited. I'm glad you graciously volunteered to do this on a Friday afternoon. I thought that time slot might uh, might be hard to fill, but thanks. <laughs> we'll we'll expect beers later or something. All right, sounds good. <laughs> let's uh, let's start out with introductions. I I know both of you, but I can you tell the listeners a little bit about your your history, your background, and your professional career uh, as it relates to PFAS or the water industry in general. Allegra, you go first. All right. So I'm Allegra De Silva, and I uh, live in Littleton, Colorado, and work with Brown and Caldwell. And I ha- my background is in chemical engineering and environmental engineering. And the work that I love to do the most is where there's an intersection between environmental policy and engineered solutions. And so PFAS is a great topic to dig into. And I uh, also particularly enjoy where uh, there's an intersection between water and wastewater and stormwater and biosolids. And this is, again, another great topic that connects so many um, elements of the water cycle. Nice. What do you like to do uh, when you're not working? Well, my current hobbies are do some introductory mountain biking. I'm just getting into it. And then I've uh, taken on uh, kindergarten and second grade this year. So those are my oh. hobbies. <laughs> that's yeah, a good that's, way to look uh, at it. I don't know if that counts as a hobby, but it's full time. <laughs> it's been fun. All right. Yeah. How about you, Sarah? Yeah. So uh, Sarah Reeves, I'm also with Brown and Caldwell. I've been in the business for about 23 years and I'm the solutions and impact director actually. And, um, you know, what I mostly have done in my career is in uh, kind of permitting and compliance, working um, with stakeholders um, on policy and issues that um, of water quality. And so uh, that's really where PFAS has come in. In this last year, there's been a big push in Colorado um, to develop a policy around PFAS and as well as legislation. And so I've been working really closely with a pretty large group of stakeholders in the state. Um, you know, it probably includes many of your listeners from wastewater to both industrial and municipal to stormwater and municipalities and airports and um, landfills and um, just and water as well. So just everybody, uh, because as Allegra says, it it touches all forms of the environment. It also touches pretty much all of the of the different parts of munis- municipalities. So, yeah, that's one uh, one thing that's kind of come to light for me is just what what you and Allegra mentioned. How many things are are involved in PFAS? You know, consumers and and you know, wastewater treatment, water treatment, chemical company. I mean, there's just it involves the whole gamut of, uh, of society there. Well, let's get to the inter- interesting question. Allegra, if someone narrated your life, who would you want that narrator to be? <laughs> I thought about this long and hard, and I came up with Tiffany Haddish, who uh, 
was the voice of Queen Whatever I Wanna Be in Lego Movie 2. Oh, nice. <laughs> and she was in night school. So I really, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to listen to her all day. <laughs> I like that one. All right, how about you, Sarah? <laughs> Who would you want to uh, narrate the story of Sarah? Um, well, Alan Alda. He's like one of my favorites. Um, he sort of reminds me of my dad in stature and um, sense of humor. And, you know, I've got a sense of humor. Some people might not find it funny, but I've got one. <laughs> and I, and I uh, so I sort of equate him to that. I'm a, I love MASH and, um, you know, it's funny. My, my daughter loves to watch it and, and I just still giggle at his, just at, at him. So, and I love his voice. So that That's is what I would love too. to hear in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I like Alan Alda, and I uh, I like your sense of humor as well. So uh, that's a good fit. That's good. I love Mash. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good because at the end of the uh, show we have a TV based quiz. So I'm glad you both used uh, television references in your in your answer. Uh -oh. oh no, <laughs> I'm the most nervous about that. That sounds oh, yeah. terrible, Larry. <laughs> Stuff, maybe the newer stuff not so much <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's get to the uh the topic at hand and uh we're kind of breaking a rule i tell guests uh no acronyms on the show to try to keep it uh acronym free but with pfas i don't see any way around it but but can you tell me what is pfas you know just that what what is pfas what are we dealing with so pfas stands for per and polyfluoral alkyl substances and it's a group of more than 5,000 synthetic human-made chemicals that have been manufactured and used in a huge range of consum consumer and industrial products uh, throughout the world. And what they have in common is that they share the carbon-fluorine bond, which is among the strongest in nature. And that's important because it's the reason why these compounds are so useful in a range of products and applications, but also why they're so persistent and difficult to break down. And so for that reason, we are able now, because of the ubiquitous usage of PFAS compounds in so many products, we can detect PFAS compounds in uh, a range of locations, including private and public water supplies, some, not all, uh, farm fields, occasionally in food supplies, consumer products, as I mentioned, and in uh, ambient air. And of those 5,000 compounds, the two that we most hear about are um, two that were extensively produced in most studies and regulated, and they are uh, PFOA, which is perfluorooctanoic acid, and PFOS, perfluorooctanes sulfonic acid, and sometimes for shorthand they're called PFOA and PFOS. Uh, and so these two compounds are the most studied and have been shown to bioaccumulate in people, and uh, they can be eliminated from the body through urine, feces, breast milk, and uh, fetal transfer, as well as hair and nails. We now are understanding that the, the length of the carbon chain matters in terms of the bioaccumulation, and so the eight chain carbon compounds like PFOS and PFOA tend to stick around in our bodies longer than shorter chain compounds. So um, when we think about the PFAS compounds, uh, there's a huge range of how they behave in our bodies and in the environment because there's so many different um, uh, lengths of chain and functional groups on the compounds themselves. It's interesting what you said, that the thing that makes the, uh, the molecule or the substance great is also what makes it such a problem. That's, you know, that the strength of that bond. That's, right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, where does this uh, where does this PFAS come from? I know you said it's an industrial chemical, but how prevalent is it? Who's making it? Where where does this stuff start out at? Well, geez, I mean, I, uh, this is Sarah. I was just going to, you know, it is obviously, so it's man-made. And some of the things, I mean, it, from chemical companies, you know, and uh, it actually started, I think it was invented during the Manhattan Project. Interestingly enough, they found that it was waterproof and they used it in tanks. Wow. Um, but that, yeah, so, um, but then they realized, hey, we could use it other places in the, um, you know, so started to to develop it where where does it come from otherwise and end up in um you know in our environment or in our bodies it you know um allegra talked about consumer products that's kind of where it ends up being but also the biggest place where we see it coming up into the environment is from firefighting foams at least in colorado that's the most significant source of environmental can- contamination is from firefighting foams or you might hear it called a triple F and I know I'm we're going to try and stay away from um, acronyms like that but that is a that's that's the firefighting foams that are used Mm -hmm. that's where you you see it coming from in the environment most of the time when you see that kind of contamination besides I suppose where it could have been dumped or disposed of in large quantities where it's been manufactured or something right aside from the a triple F foams what kind of what kind of products are these used in? What kind of property, you know, you said that it has water repellent and, and stain right. resistant properties. What kind of products around our house or your house or my house might have uh, PFAS in them? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a really good question. So the first thing that, you know, they really found it in, or, you know, that it was used in, you think about Teflon um, and uh, that's a brand name that all of us know. And we have pans and things like that, that have Teflon on them. But then if you get further into it, so you're, you're cooking pans and cookware, um, and, uh, but then you think about textiles. So clothing, a lot of it is um, in Colorado too. All of us have you know, um, ski gear and gloves and things like that where you know, that's water repellent or water resistant. And that is um, PFAS that helps us do that. Um, so you think about outdoor clothing where you have, um, weather resistant things. You also in cosmetics, so it can be in eye makeup, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, even, uh, you know, dental floss, um, and in carpets, anything where I think about, um, uh, the couch you sit on or whatever, where things are stain resistant. Um, you, you've heard the word stain master, um, that has PFAS in it. Um, and then also one of the, the things that, um, I guess a last sort of batch of, of places where we find or the products that we have are food wrappers or those kind of consumer goods. So, um, you know, what your burgers wrapped in or your pizza or your popcorn bag for the microwave, all of that stuff so that the grease and stuff don't get on the outside, don't get on your clothes and your hands. Um, it's, that's PFAS. That's interesting. That's the one I've heard is, is the pizza box one that they coat, you know, the pizza boxes with this. And really when you think about it, yeah, the boxes don't leak through. So I'm like, it's uh, you know, you think it's so it doesn't good. get on, you know, as you bring it home on the seat of your car or whatever, it doesn't get pizza grease all over everything. Yeah. Yeah. Or the same with your French fries from McDonald's or something, you know, you, um, you don't want that fried juice getting all over your, your, uh, jeans when you got it in your lap, you know? Yeah. yeah you know, 
You yep. can't stain your uh, Jordash jeans with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. But now, yeah, I think now this this whole PFAS situation is, is at least getting me and I'm sure others to say at what cost is is saving my uh, 501s from Greece. What's what's the ultimate cost of that to the environment and to to public health? So I think right. it's, yeah. But I guess getting into that, what, what are the the health effects of PFAS or, or the environmental effects of, of this chemical? I can take that one. Um, there's most, the most toxicity data we have for human health is for the two compounds we mentioned earlier, PFOS and PFOA. And those are the eight chain carbon um, compounds. And um, what we know now is that studies indicate that exposure to, if you have sufficiently high enough levels, um, there may be health effects, including developmental effects in fetuses and infants, and effects on the thyroid, liver, kidneys, and certain hormones and the immune system as a whole. There's some links to cancer risk also for very high level exposures. But overall, uh, we're still really trying to unravel that story and understand the health risks risks posed by exposures to PFAS compounds. There's some evidence that the shorter chain compounds um, that are being used to replace the eight carbon compounds may have lower health effects because we keep them in our bodies short for shorter time. Our bodies um, get rid of them faster. They have shorter half-life in our bodies. And so for that reason, we think that they're less toxic. But there's not that much research yet on that. Um, so it's an emerging and evolving field. And then in terms of the environment, there have been hundreds of studies um, examining different facets of toxicity of PFAS in various species in the environment. Um, but it, it's pretty difficult to generalize because uh, most of the work has only been done on a small number of high visibility PFAS compounds with a very few species. But in general, we understand that the PFOS compound is likely to be both acutely and chronically toxic to aquatic organisms. PFOA is generally believed to be less toxic than PFOS. But again, there's efforts to try to understand this further and efforts to model what or predict what um, toxicity other compounds could have based on their chemical compounds so that we don't have to do thousands of studies with all the different compounds because that's not feasible. So um, it's a huge area of research and, and uncertainty as we are developing regulations for these compounds. Yeah, I can see the, uh, the challenge and then that there must be a lot we don't know. I mean, you mentioned there were 5,000 of these and so to research five that, you know, the effects of 5,000 individual chemicals, even though they all may have some similarity has mm -hmm. got to be a, you know, there's got to be a lot out there we don't know a lot more we don't know than we do know i would imagine indeed yeah yeah at this point all right well i thanks for uh thanks for your insights on pfas in general now i think i want to get to the mid show segment and uh for the uh... mid <laughs> well, we're going to go siskel and ebert here for the mid show segment i know sarah you've seen the movie dark waters <laughs> Sounds like your dog has also been excited. My my dog was really excited about the whole thing. Yeah, uh, your dog. <laughs> Sorry, I think that's all right. So yeah, Dark Waters is a movie with PFAS as, as kind of the central 
the central character, Mark Ruffalo, was the uh, the main character in that movie. And let me give you, a, let me read a summary of the movie for those who haven't seen it. I think uh, it just came out maybe what six months ago or so. Maybe a little bit, yeah, maybe a little bit beyond that, but yes. Six months or a year or so. But here's a, let me give you a little rundown about the film, and then we can discuss Siskel and Ebert's style after that. But The Dark Waters tells the shocking and heroic story of an attorney who risks his career and family to uncover a dark secret hidden by one of the world's largest corporations to bring justice to a community dangerously exposed for decades to deadly chemicals. Uh, Corporate environmental defense attorney Rob Billet, uh, Academy Award nominee Mark Ruffalo plays him, has just made partner at his prestigious Cincinnati law firm in large part due to his work defending big chem companies. He finds himself conflicted as he's contracted by two or contacted by two West Virginia farmers who believe that the local DuPont plant is dumping toxic waste in the area landfill that is destroying their fields and killing their cattle. Hoping to learn the truth about just what is happening, Billet, with help from his supervising partner in the firm, uh, files a complaint that that marks the beginning of an epic 15-year fight, one that will not only test his relationship with his wife, uh, played by Anne Hathaway, but also his reputation, his health, and his livelihood. So uh, what did you think of the movie, Sarah? What did you think of Dark Waters? Um, Well, I thought it was pretty informative and seemed... Um, at least I actually, interestingly, have a friend who lived in, in Parkersburg, West Virginia, grew up there. And he says, oh. yeah, pretty much what it was. You know, he can attest to it, knows the plant. So it was interesting. I, you know, it seemed pretty um, like on point and kind of technical, at least I don't know all the details, right? But, um, you know, how they explain things and what these, what it was used for and whatever. It's It seemed pretty... Um, pretty right on about what PFAS is and what those constituents are because they talked about PFAS and PFOA, right? Yeah. So I thought it was interesting. And, you know, the Incredible Hulk and a movie was good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I thought it was almost like a, it seemed like a reboot of Aaron Brockovich, you know, like yeah. they brought mm-hmm. Cobra Kai back from the Karate Kid and this kind of because <laughs> I was like, this is Aaron Brockovich. They just changed the character instead of Hex Chrome. And PG and E, it's PFAS and DuPont and a, uh, yep. but yeah, kind of see. But I mean, they got to kind of you know focus on the dramatic and the and the extremes, right. which I think raises public, I guess, fear of the public because right, of, which, which is the intent. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. What is your? Uh, do you think the movie helped with with the public discourse on PFAS, or do you think it it hurt? Well, I mean. Uh, I think we need to get awareness, right? And Hollywood helps to get awareness. So there's that. Um, The thing that I think it hurts, and I think this is in some of, um, this is kind of the way it goes when um, you think about Love Canal or some of the super fun sites that you've heard of before, right? Where you've got these toxic waste dumps or something and and there is uh, both human and animal environmental impact um, you know, these, these are people that swam in this stuff. They ate at high levels of these compounds, um, you know, or worked. It, it happened, you know, they documented issues with people that worked at the factory on like the Teflon line or were cleaning out all the Teflon vats. So they were touching it. They were inhaling it. They were around it all the time. So the exposure, 
there was pretty great. And they saw serious side effects, you know, it was all the things that they talked about, like ulcerative colitis or uh, testicular cancer or things like that, right? And then they saw deformities in some children, babies, you know, born of women that worked on the line. Yeah. And so to me, that's the problem that people equate, you know, now, because the truth is PFAS is everywhere. It's in like 99% of people's blood in the whole wide world. You know, so we've all been exposed to it over these, since this has come into, um, you know, come to us in the 1940s, we've all been exposed to it. We all grew up with it and it's all in our houses and all around us, you know, so we've got a baseload of this stuff that's, that we're exposed to. And for most of us, we probably won't be able, you know, we won't have uh, an effect. Um, but I think what happens is when you watch this movie, everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, and actually the main character, this guy, Rob, started freaking about uh, his wife who was pregnant. And am I going to have a baby that has one nostril and, uh, you know, and deformed eye? You know, he was asking, you know, they're going through this thing. And that's what I get worried about is that people say, I, you know, they get worried because, there are low levels of PFAS everywhere and they think they're going to see these really, um, you know, these big effects um, in their own systems, you know, just kind of, it gets everybody, um, you know, and just focused on PFAS when maybe the thing they ought to be worried about with their French fries is not the PFAS on the French fry wrapper, but how, you know, how often they eat French fries. I'm not really sure, but that's the problem I think with a movie like this. Yeah, there's that, that one scene where he's pulling out the carpet and throwing out, uh, you know, all his Teflon pans and I think yeah. that's an attempt to kind of tie the, you know, the extreme to the, the everyday. But yeah, mm -hmm. there, it's, it was Hollywood. I, I noticed the scene where he, the cow was going to attack and then the farmer shot the cow. I was like, that's a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe over the top, but hey, it makes for good movies, you know. It does, it does. <laughs> So yeah. Allegra, based on our review, you think you'll be seeing this movie? Yeah, I just added it to my watch list. Okay, good. High time, high time. What about uh, Aaron Brockovich? Have you seen that? <laughs> it's been too long since I've seen it, but yes, yeah, a long time ago. Okay, well then you've pretty much seen it anyway. Right. <laughs> like if you take Aaron Brockovich, there's a little elements from the firm, you know, of the, uh -huh. of the law firm tracking you, and then there's kind of like – that one where Matt Damon, the informant, where he was on the inside of, uh, you know, he was the informant. You combine all three of those and you have uh, dark waters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You just saved me two hours. Huh? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and <laughs> probably like 12 you bucks. The Incredible Hulk. Maybe you had an Anne Hathaway. Maybe you should do it. Yeah, Anne Hathaway. <laughs> that was the big, that was the saddest part of the movie for me. I'm like, you have Anne Hathaway and she was kind of like the supportive wife but i'm like she could do so you got to use like she should have been instrumental they could have done so much with her and they kind of held her back as the supporting wife i didn't like that part but mm -hmm. <laughs> now we gotta get back to the topic at hand all right all right park waters so uh can you tell me sarah or Lager, what is what is colorado doing uh to address pfas well, I can jump in there because um, I've definitely been knee deep in this stuff. Yeah. You know, um, so Colorado um, at the highest level developed, a, a, you know, well, I would say a very high level action plan. And it's kind of got four tenants in it. One is it's risk reduction, drinking water protection, cleanup, and community involvement is kind of the way that they've separated that action plan out. And really what it gets down to is, 
you know, there the thought is they're saying, hey, we're going to um, trying to find try to find the highest risk areas. We're going to particularly with drinking water. You know, if we find a problem, um, we're going to focus first on getting secure drinking water for people, and then we're going to work on cleanup of that area and making sure that you know we get rid of sort of the sources first, and then try and clean up the PFAS. And then, um, you know, as far as community involvement, really, um, you know, saying that they're going to have stakeholder involvement, sort of two-way communication through um, uh, through website um, posts and, and discussions where needed. So that's their sort of high-level action plan. Again, not a lot of detail, but, but really focusing on, um, you know, the highest risk areas and drinking water protection. Okay. Um, the, you know, then there were a couple of other things that I wanted to add as far as what Colorado is doing. And there's, you know, specifically they, they did put together, um, the drinking water sampling project this year, and that provided funds to communities to test their, the finished drinking water, some of the source waters, you know, groundwater and surface water, as well as some wells and, in fire districts and, um, you know, really that, that was used to help people because it's not cheap to sample for PFAS. Yeah. So, you know, to get some more money out there into those communities. And they found actually interestingly from that, that about of the, you know, 460 some um, sites that were sampled, about a quarter of them had some PFAS, like greater than one part per trillion in it. And, but that the hot spot areas were really the ones where that fire, the firefighting foams had impacted the groundwater that I had kind of referred to earlier. Yeah. And then a couple other things, just like legislation. Um, you know, there's three pieces of uh, three laws that were passed over the last couple of years. One bans that a triple F firefighting foam. And, and when I say that, that's uh, for that bans the use for training activities and that, that goes into effect in like mid 2021. And then, um, except for places where it, that it, it kind of has to be used. And this is interesting, Blair, that, um, you know, there are just some places where we have, it's, you have to use this firefighting foam because it's so, it works so well. And this is like this human health thing, you know, do we let the fire burn because we don't want to use a triple F or do we use a triple F and save the people there and then maybe have environmental effects or some human health effects from it? It's a real touchy, difficult situation, but this is what we're working with. And so there's, um, there's that ban for training and then also just moving from trying to ban its use or move from the use of a triple F onto something else that works. So, um, and then uh, the, there are details, but then the, the last one on the legislation that I wanted to talk about just happened recently. And that is collecting fees from transport of fuel. And then that gives a cash fund that works for take back program, uh, more sampling in surface and groundwaters, um, some funding of water treatment where it's needed and emergency assistance where there are impacted communities. And then kind of the last thing I wanted to touch on, and I'm promising not to get into a lot of detail here, but um, the state has been recognized actually, and, and other states are interested in following suit with a, a policy that they put together this year um, that I, you know, I was pretty um, integral, I, you know, worked on a lot this year with a bunch of stakeholders. And um, that policy 20-1 uh, does several things. One, it sets, you know, the kind of laboratory methods 
um, that need to be used to measure um, about 25 PFAS compounds in non-potable waters. Um, and this is important because there really isn't a method that's been set um, to, to do that. So that's this policy sets that. It establishes sort of some initial limits for PFAS constituents um, that they, uh, you know, and for the ones that Allegra was talking about, that PFOA, PFOS, that's about 70 parts per trillion. And then um, the other, it allows for consideration using these um, initial limits in the cleanup of groundwater, you know, where they've been impacted environmentally. And then um, also for, um, you know, for at wastewater treatment plants and, and permits. So you can set effluent limits at wastewater treatment plants based on those numbers. And that would require monitoring and understanding of the sources of PFAS to our, our wastewater facilities. So that's kind of what um, Colorado has, has been doing. Good. Thanks. Yeah, we're running into at the facility here I work at, you know, the same, when you're talking parts per trillion levels, and like you say, it's it's everywhere. So you really got to think ahead about, you know, how to collect a sample correctly and how not to get cross-contamination or, or false positives from your, from your efforts. So yeah, it really is a, you know, it's not as easy as, as taking a jug and, and holding it under the, the stream. You got to make sure you're wearing the right, you know, gear that doesn't have any of this uh, PFAS in it and, and really think about what you're doing. And, and it's even like, did you take a shower recently? And, and what did you use to take a shower, you know? Yeah. Or, or if it were in, you know, the water that you had a shower with. I mean, there's just a lot. It, you, yeah, it's really, um, it's really challenging. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. That would feel, uh, that would feel weird asking, asking your lab folks about their showering habits. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know. Some people it might be all right. I haven't had one in a week. Well, that's okay. We'll use you. You come to the <laughs> There's a silver lining there. <laughs> all right. Well, Allegra, I know you're involved in, in kind of the national uh, national scene or national outlook on PFAS. Uh, maybe you'd be the one to tell us what, what other states or what the EPA is doing as far as PFAS. Sure. So, the EPA has um, been looking at it in drinking water and this year has announced that they will um, they intend to regu regulate PFOA and PFOS, those two compounds, under the Safe Drinking Water Act. And that's a preliminary step in eventually developing drinking water maximum contaminant levels. But there isn't a timeline for that. So we, we're not um, anticipating federal MCLs for drinking water very soon. But we will be seeing uh, another round of sampling in drinking water under the, um, un the fifth unregulated contaminant monitoring rule round of sampling that will uh, be done in 2023 to 2025. There will be uh, additional PFAS compounds added to that list to build on um, the sampling that was done under UCMR round three. Uh, so we expect that the percentage of drinking water systems nationally that will have detections of PFAS compounds will increase in that next round of sampling because of two factors. One, we're going to be looking for more compounds. And now our detection limits have uh, dropped. So our analytical methods have, meant, have improved so that we can um, detect PFAS at much lower levels now. So for that reason, we'll probably see a flurry of activity in drinking water. 
but there is not a federal MCL yet. In the absence of the federal MCL, the EPA has um, issued a health advisory level, which is non-binding, and that is 70 parts per trillion or 70 nanograms per liter for the uh, sum of the concentrations of PFOA and PFOS. And in wastewater, the EPA is considering uh, federal recommendations for aquatic and human life standards for PFOS and PFOA in surface water. But there is not a timeline for when those may be uh, released or developed yet. But if there were um, recommendations from the EPA on surface water criteria that could impact uh, dischargers, including wastewater treatment plants um, down the line uh, nationally. So um, something that we're watching. And then um, this year, the EPA also issued it, uh, recommendations around groundwater contamination for these compounds. Because there's not um, federal MCL or federal guidance on surface water criteria, states are uh, developing their own criteria. And so there's a real patchwork nationally of uh, how states are approaching this. So there's 26 states that have some type of PFAS regulations. And five of them have standards that are more stringent in drinking water than the EPA health advisory uh, level. And um, Many states beyond drinking water are also considering, or like the, the case that Colorado, uh, that Sarah just laid out for Colorado, have are looking at PFAS in surface water, wastewater, stormwater, construction dewatering, et cetera. So uh, there are several states that have launched um, campaigns this year to measure PFAS compounds in these different matrices, particularly wastewater and landfill leachate and other sources to try to understand really what the water cycle looks like right now and where uh, what what are get a bit better baseline understanding of PFAS concentrations uh, in the water cycle so uh, it's rapidly evolving and um, it, um, it it's very inconsistent from state to state of how the regulators are interpreting toxicology information and, and determining acceptable limits um, the thing just an editorial comment on that is that concerns me as a water practitioner that we don't have uh, more consistency from state to state because if the public tries to understand why one state decides that a certain level is safe in drinking water, whereas another state comes to a different conclusion, I think we lack um, consistency and, and could undermine the, the water industry because we're not speaking effectively with one voice of what's safe enough for public health. So I think it's confusing for the public. Yeah, it's uh, hard to explain that uh, you're safe in one state, but you're not safe in another right. state at the same level. It definitely seems like right. something that needs some national uh, national leadership on from the, the EPA or, you know, some consistency across states, like you say. I can see that. Well, what, uh, what types of treatment is, were these AFFF foams have, have been used or, or where there's hot spots or... What types of treatment are available? Are there treatments that can take this PFAS out of out of drinking water and wastewater? And if so, what are those? Yes, there are treatments. So actually, uh, the treatments are very well established and very effective. So that's the good news. And where we've detected PFAS in drinking water, um, authorities have moved rapidly to to install these treatment systems so that people are not uh, drinking contaminated water uh, where where the detection where we where we where we have known detections. And so the typical um, 
technologies used are granular activated carbon, sometimes called GAC, <laughs> and ion exchange to sequester PFAS from the, from the water onto solid media. Um, reverse osmosis also works, which is a membrane-based technology. Um, in, both, in that case, you um, have a, a liquid stream or the reverse osmosis concentrate that has to be dealt with that then contains the more concentrated PFAS um, compounds. So that is a challenge with, with that technology. And then on the, uh, the GAC and ion exchange, you then have a solid media stream that needs to be dealt with either through landfilling or uh, regeneration of that media. And that can be done in the case of GAC at high temperatures. You can regenerate the GAC and effectively uh, burn off the PFAS compounds. It has to be very high temperatures. And the ion exchange resins can be um, regenerated depending on application using chemical washes. Um, so it's possible to use these compounds in drinking water uh, to remove PFAS, but we have these um, challenging waste streams. And so we're looking, and in the, the industry is looking at various ways to try to achieve actual destruction of PFAS compounds rather than moving the PFAS compounds from one um, state to another, like from water to the solid media. And so that's uh, occurring really at bench scale right now, uh, but there's a lot of activity uh, to try to identify better solutions that are more, um, more long-term solutions to actually destroy the compounds. So we're looking at those in our lab and others are as well. Um, on the wastewater side, uh, waste, wastewater can contain PFAS compounds because of co consumer use as well as potentially from industrial sources. And wastewater treatment plants uh, generally do not remove PFAS ca compounds. So to if we were to treat PFAS in wastewater, we would need pretty significant changes to wastewater treatment. We'd have to add tertiary filtration and then follow that up with the same treatments used for drinking water. So it's effectively adding an advanced water purification facility at the back end of a wastewater plant. So there's a lot of effort now to uh, try to identify ways that we can get eliminate PFAS from wastewater in the first place, whether through industrial source control or potentially looking at uh, consumer products that could be substituted with non-PFAS compounds um, effectively. So uh, active area of research. All right, thanks, Allegra. I guess my final, uh, my final question, and I don't know if this is, is scientific or just uh, you as individuals, but what can, what can an individual do to reduce PFAS exposure? Do they need to, to go the route of dark waters and, and throw away their, <laughs> their pans that could have their carpets? Or do you have any, do you know of, of how would you approach trying to, to reduce PFAS exposure? Well, yeah, that's an interesting one. And I, um, uh, you know, and it, it kind of gets to the thing that sort of bugs me. And you didn't ask me this question, but I'm going to answer it to start this off. And that is what is Colorado not really doing? <laughs> it would be great for them to do. And that is like, this is a question because in places where we don't, I mean, assuming that you're not in a place that has, um, you know, groundwater contamination that's leading to some kind of drinking water issue, which that's all been at least identified it is being dealt with and, and the state is, you know, has worked to secure um, and those locations have worked to secure clean, um, safe drinking water, right? So assuming that you, you're not in a situation where you're swimming and eating uh, PFAS and everything you do, the, 
Um, that's what we need to be telling our people. Colorado needs to be saying, educating people about where is this stuff? Because it is, it comes down to the fact that it's kind of all around us. We're standing on it, we're sitting in it, we're putting it on our bodies, we're, you know, we're eating off of it. And so we just need to, we need better education. So that's kind of the answer, you know, as um, one of the quotes in the Dark Waters thing is that um, he says, we protect us. And I think that's kind of for, we have to make personal decisions about what we want to do. Um, and so to me, like, um, you could think about those fast food wrappers, like I said, um, you know, there is a voluntary phase out over the next three years of using those kind of coatings on paper and paperboard. But, but think about like, it's in microwave popcorn bags. Well, you know, you could, you, you could decide to chuck those things, which of course now puts it in a landfill, but um, the ones you've got in your closet and then just go buy a bag of popcorn and pop it in a pan. It actually is just as good or better than the microwave stuff. Right. Or, um, you know, eat pizza, but I don't, I, you know, I'm not sure what to do about some of that other, maybe don't eat fast food and that might even have a better effect side effect of not all of that fatty stuff. I, yeah, but I like probably that. solve a lot more problems with that too. Know, exactly right. Or we'll get, we'll kill two birds with one stone or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Right. But, you know, so that's, that. I could think about that. The other would be just, um, you know, as you're continuing to buy things, pay attention, you know, if something says it's water resistant or, you know, try to look in and see, does, does something say fluoro on it? Um, Cause it will, those are like fluoride compounds um, that would make you say, aha, this probably has some kind of PFAS stuff in it. Um, you know, making choices going forward. But, you know, it's funny cause my husband watched the movie with me and he's like, do we need to tear out the carpets? And I was like, well, gosh, I really kind of like the fact that, you know, they're soft and warm and, and, uh, you know, so I, I'm not saying tear out your carpets, but I think paying attention as you go forward about what you're buying, um, you know, but, but the thing that it comes down to me is that, you know, a lot of this stuff is in our houses and what are we going to do with it when we want to get rid of it? Cause it doesn't get rid of, it's this destructive, we have to destroy it, the, the PFAS for it to go away. Um, you know, we're not doing that by putting it in landfills. We're not doing that by dumping it down the drain. We're not, you know, so that's, that becomes, I think somewhat almost the bigger issue is, um, you know, we've got to stop manufacturing it and uh, we've got to stop buying it. And then what do we do with the stuff we've got in our homes? So that's my answer to it. Oh, and yeah. to it in your personal care products. I mean, don't use glide floss, I guess, or whatever those the you know, think about things, I guess, look at, if you can see the, and you can read the tiny, tiny, tiny print. I kind of can't as much anymore, but <laughs> get on some glasses. I've, I've had to go buy readers and look at what it says and see if you see anything that says fluoro and then maybe just don't buy that stuff. Buy something different. Yeah, I've, I've heard the term uh, forever chemicals. I don't know if yeah. we said that today, yeah. but then it gets back to, you can't get rid of this stuff. It's, it's you know, like Allegra said, the, the strength of that bond or whatever reason, it doesn't go away like normal uh, mm -hmm. chemicals break down. Mm -hmm. Allegra, did you have uh, anything to add on that one as far as, as avoiding PFAS exposure? I think Sarah summarized it well. I, I've grappled with this personally, and I've kind of come to the conclusion after what I've read that my exposure, if I'm not eating a lot of packaged foods, is probably not that high 
and so I'm I'm comfortable with my my consumer lifestyle and not ripping out carpets. But yes, I think I think the guidance Sarah gave is is um, worthy. All right. Well, I think that uh, we're about at the end of it, except for the uh, I guess it's the dreaded quiz. Dreaded by <laughs> Sarah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> So oh, that'll be awesome. I can't wait. Yep. <laughs> so I have a PFAS television quiz for you. Um, I guess you can just uh, both answer these or I could split them up. One, you know, one for Sarah, one for Allegra. Oh, How would you like to do let's it? Let's have a, t- a team effort. Yeah, team let's effort? Team okay. effort. Well, here's how it'll work. I'll describe a television series that uh, start with the letters from the PFAS acronym um you have to name all four of those series to win the uh the challenge here and here's the kicker you can if you're stuck three clues are available but you can only use each clue once Uh, i will name an actor from the series i will name a character from the series or i will uh let you listen to the theme song from the series so those (laughs) we can have is an actor a character and a song in a song, but you can only use one of those. Once you use a clue, it's done. Uh-huh. Yeah. So let's start with number one. This show was set in San Francisco. It's centered on five siblings who become orphans after their parents are killed in a car accident. This one's going to start with P because it's for uh, PFAS. Is it the Partridge family? Is that the one, um, Allegra? What do you think? We can talk, right? We, that's not yeah, our final answer. Talk. You just but tell I, me the final answer. <laughs> um, I, what about Party of Five, Sarah? Oh, there you go. That I, I, I don't know Party of Five. Must be. Sounds good to me. You're going to go Party <laughs> of Five without a clue? We don't have a clue. <laughs> Truly clueless. <laughs> I can give you a clue, but okay, Party of Five, is that your final answer? Sure. Yeah. That is correct. Party of five right. is correct. <laughs> All right. You're fourth of the way there. Woo. Thank number, you, Allegra. <laughs> Never heard of it. Two. Uh, and this will be starting with an F if you get the theme here. Uh, this show from the late seven or wait, yeah, late seventies, early eighties or so, uh, was based on accounts of visitors to a unique resort uh, in the Pacific that could fulfill any request with the result rarely being what was expected. Mm, I know this one. You know it? You don't the even plane, know it. The plane! It's Fantasy Island, right? Isn't Is that that... I'm, I'm good with that guess. Yeah, yeah all right. Yeah, your final answer. It is. <laughs> you are correct. Woo! <laughs> you guys watch a lot of TV or, or else these are uh, too easy here. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, number three. Uh, this show from the early 90s follows a group of high school students at Bayside High School. Bayside. Still got three clues left if you need them. Well, I don't even know if that would help me, but... um, Yeah. Hmm. uh, Okay. um, Well, let's try it. Um, Yeah. Do you want to use up the song or the... Sure, let's do the song. Name an actor, name a character, or the theme song. You want the theme song? I don't know. Yeah. Whatever you think would be the... And this starts with A? This starts with uh, F. Oh, are you going out no, of order? No, no, wait. Oh, oh no, 10, I 20, That's it. We're okay. off. 
Okay, I screwed up. I had these in the wrong order. Oh my <laughs> god, this one starts with. <laughs> oh well, then if that's it, I think I know what it is because I was trying to go for an A. <laughs> that's my bad. I have. How about a, can I answer it if I think it's if I know it if I know the S? You bet. You might want to get a clue just in case. Uh, okay, <laughs> get a clue. That's got a clue. You like the theme song? I'll play the theme. Let's do it. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's saved by the bell, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. Saved by the bell is correct. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Blair, taking us out of order. <laughs> I know, I know. I can't believe I did that. All right, because <laughs> instead of PFAS, this is PUFSA. <laughs> PUFSA. <laughs> All right, so this one starts with an A. Should have been number three. If you get this one, you have uh, conquered the end of show quiz. Uh, this series from the late 90s, tells the story of a young lawyer working at the Boston law for firm of Cage and Fish. Sarah, do you want the actor on this one? Yeah, I think so. You want the actor? All right, the actor's name is Callista Flockhart. Ah, uh, Allie McBeal. Oh, there we go, Allie McBeal. Allie yeah, McBeal yeah, yeah. is correct. <laughs> You have successfully gotten four conquered the PFAS television quiz. You should be very proud of yourselves. Uh-huh. It's actually the Puffsa one, Blair. It's not the <laughs> yeah, the Puffsa. My bad. My bad. <laughs> it's one of the new compounds. There's 5,000 of them. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. I had a little arrow with two-sided arrows, but then I forget what that means. But now I'm going to change the order. But anyway, great job. And uh, I want to thank you both for, for uh, coming on the show and sharing your expertise with us. It was great having you, and it's great to have all this good information uh, that you gave us. So I appreciate you being on, taking your Friday to spend uh, sharing your expertise with us. Thanks, Blair. Thanks this was yeah, really enjoyable. To our listeners, uh, I would just like to say if you like the show, tell one of your uh, friends or colleagues. We don't have a an advertising budget, so it's word of mouth. But yeah, if you like the show, give us a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast player you are uh, listening on. Tell a friend. And if you have ideas for topics or guests on future shows, you can email me at streamingwater at mail.com. So I think that is it for today. Thanks again, Sarah and Allegra. This has been great. And we'll see you next time on the Streaming Water Podcast. Thanks, Blair.